This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. In the name of COVID relief, Congress has just passed and President Biden has just signed a near $2 trillion spending bill, a bill that amounts to nearly a tenth of the gross national product of the United States. The country's public schools are about to receive $126 billion of the largest deficit spending bill ever passed, and that's on top of an extra $82 billion that Congress approved last December, a sum that's yet to reach the school districts. Altogether, this comes to over $200 billion, which gives schools about 25% more money than they ordinarily have to spend in any given school year. Well, with all that money, we should at least have the school doors open. To find out whether that is the case, Corey DeAngelis and Christos Macrides have looked at the relationship between school resources and whether or not schools reopen. In a new report, just released from the Reason Foundation entitled, Are School Reopening Decisions Related to Funding? The authors look at the latest data from 12,000 school districts across the country and give their best answer to the big COVID relief bill question, how important is money to reopening the schools? Well, I'm happy to have with me today on the Education Exchange, Corey DeAngelis, who's now with a brand new position, he's just been appointed National Director of Research at the American Federation for Children. Uh, congratulations, Corey. And he's the co-author with uh, Mr. McCready's of a new study entitled, Our School Reopening Decisions Related to Funding. So thanks, Corey, and congratulations again. Uh, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. Well, Corey, first tell me the bottom line of your new study. How important is money to reopening schools? Yeah, the bottom line here is that we did not find in any of our specifications or analytic techniques that more funding per pupil or expenditures per pupil is associated with higher likelihoods of individual school districts reopening for in-person instruction. Those results were robust to different analytic techniques, either looking at linear probability models or ordered probit models, uh, whether we looked at the log or the level of spending per pupil, or whether we looked at funding or expenditures per pupil. Yeah, you did a lot of different things and our audience can't follow all of, all of these details, but why should we expect money to open the schools? Isn't it the spread of COVID that's keeping them shut? Well, the arguments from the teachers unions every step of the way was that uh, if they needed more resources in order to reopen the doors for business. Uh, one of my initial thoughts to that claim was, well, a lot of the low cost private schools have been able to reopen their doors for business. And in places like Florida, essentially all of the public schools are open for in-person instruction and every family has that option of in-person instruction in places like Florida even though Florida only spends about $10,700 per student per year, which is about 29% less than the national average, according to the latest data from the U.S. Census Bureau in the 2018 school year. Yeah, but, the, but of course now, you know, Florida is a low-cost state. I mean, they don't, they don't have the high labor costs of, of New York or California. Uh, so why should, you know, money, I mean, you're looking at variation in money across school districts. Uh, isn't, isn't that driven by the, the, the costs in different parts of the country? Well, we, it's, it's a great thing that we uh, include a ton of controls in each of the models. Uh, I will say we did 
we do include models that don't have a lot of controls and then we add more models across columns in our results uh, tables to, to show that the results are pretty uh, consistent over, uh, across models. Even when you control for the local uh, average household income, the education levels in the, in the area, the age and race distributions in the area, even after controlling for COVID risk as measured by cases and deaths, per capita in the local area. Well, let's stop at that one. That, that's an interesting one, Corey. Mm -hmm. You're saying that even controlling for COVID risk, are you saying that COVID risk really isn't related to opening the schools? That's what we found in most of our specifications. And I will say there have been a handful of other studies that have similarly found no evidence or no consistent evidence, at least across models to suggest that COVID risk as measured by either cases, deaths per capita, or even hospitalizations are related to reopening decisions. And there have been six studies on the topic, and I have done one of them also with Dr. Christos McCready's from MIT, which just came out at Social Science Quarterly, that measures of union influence uh, are significantly related to a lower likelihood of reopening schools for in-person instruction. So is that the big driver then? Because because you, you you say, oh, this isn't related to it and that's not related to it, but what is related to it? What is causing yeah. schools not to open? Yeah, so we find that funding isn't related to reopening, or at least more funding isn't related to reopening and risk isn't related to reopening as far as health, health risk of the virus. But our study and others have now consistently found that teachers union influence is strongly related to reopening and also political partisanship in the area. If you had more Trump voters in your area in voting in the 2016 election, you were more likely to reopen schools all else equal for in-person instruction. Well, why so should the main politics have anything to do with it? I mean, these are, these are political doesn't, decisions. It doesn't kill Republicans or faster than Democrats. Everybody's equal in the eyes of uh, COVID. You would think so, but a lot of these decisions aren't based purely on the science. And what this evidence suggests is that a lot of these decisions aren't based on the science, or at least they're not correlated with the risk in the area. And so these are public school districts are uh, very highly political institutions, and they listen to special interest groups, and they and they make decisions based on the political partisanship in the area and public opinion. So that that is why it is it's probably likely we're seeing these relationships in the data. And, and it's not just us, it's five other reports have found this with different researchers as well. So now when you're looking at money though, shouldn't you be looking at available resources? Because a lot of money gets tied up. Uh, you know, they've already decided in these contracts they've signed with uh, teachers unions to pay teachers X number of dollars. They, their building costs are, are fixed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that at least in the short run are, are pretty fixed. And so why wouldn't you want to look at the new money that's available and what the effect that has? Because that's really what the, the new federal dollars are all about is new money, extra money. So can you really generalize from your study to new money? We, we can't uh, because we don't have the no one has available the new money on a on a district base, base uh, basis in the United States for over, you know, twelve thousand school districts. So we had to use the most recent data available. I think it was from the twenty eighteen school year, and the we also did a test in our study to see how consistent spending is 
uh, over time to, to make sure our, our latest data, the 2018 expenditures and revenues per people were a legitimate proxy for current uh, spending. And since we found that it doesn't really change that much from year to year, we could be pretty confident in our results uh, for the current year. But it is true, it would be great to be able to use the actual data from today. And I'm sure researchers will do so in the future once that data becomes available. But a lot of other things just uh, didn't suggest that school reopenings were actually about money. For example, in this latest stimulus of $126 billion going to the K-12 public, uh, public and private education system, the Senate tried to pass an amendment to make that funding contingent upon the schools actually reopening for in-person instruction given all of the teachers were vaccinated, but it failed by a 50-50 vote, completely partisan uh, vote uh, along party lines. And so now that additional funding can go to the schools re regardless of whether they even open their doors for business, even if all of their teachers are vaccinated. So that's aside from our study, but it's another thing that kind of suggests that this has a lot to do with party politics instead of actually reopening the, the schools in-person instruction. If the money is for reopening the schools, well, then why couldn't we pass well, an amendment yeah, to make it? Well, but you might say that we don't know what COVID is going to be like by the time the schools are supposed to open this coming fall. I mean, you could say there could be some new strains coming on. There could be, uh, you know, uh, a, a fourth wave. Uh, there's some signs of it in some places. France just went locking down again. So, Maybe it, maybe that would be you know not prudent to sort of make this uh, funding dependent upon whether the schools open or not. Well, that would be based on um, potential concerns, not the actual data that we have in front of us today. We can't just you know make these decisions on about possibilities that might happen in the future. You have to make decisions based on the data you have. And if you look at the latest compilation of the research by John Bailey, who's a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He summarized about 130 studies and the preponderance of the evidence as he summarized and also summarized by the CDC researchers in the, uh, the, the peer-reviewed publication JAMA, that the preponderance of the evidence suggests that school reopenings are not consistently linked to uh, overall spread in the community. And Tulane University researchers Doug Harris and his team similarly found nationwide looking at data that school reopenings generally have not been associated with increases in COVID hospitalizations either. So it seems like schools can safely reopen. Um, and, and it looks like, uh, you know, we, we've poured more money into the system without actually making that money contingent upon reopening. And it seems like it's not a very wise uh, idea, especially with the data that we have suggesting that the, these reopening decisions haven't been linked to funding amounts or the risk of the virus in the area, but it has been influenced by union influence and political partisanship in the area. So what is your assessment of the likely, uh, well, how's this money gonna be spent? If they don't really need to spend this money to reopen the schools, then how are they, what are they gonna do with it? There's a lot of money there. Well, they'll probably use it like they've done with other funding historically in the United States, where they, they, add, they add a lot of administrative bloat and support staff roles. And that's great for teachers union bosses because it increases their political power through having a larger voting block, but it also increases their revenues by having more dues paying members, which isn't the same thing as 
you don't get the same benefit if you just pour that money into actually reopening the, the, the buildings or if you poured more money into the classroom and actually paid teachers better. Uh, well, so there's a there's a disc for ventilation, uh, improving, you know, the uh, apparently uh, better ventilated schools is a safer school. Uh, they, there's a lot of construction that they could do to uh, to, um, you know, facilitate a movement through the school. Aren't these some of the things you would expect to find? That that could be uh, what they plan to spend the money on. But you also have uh, Joe Biden announcing just a couple of days ago that he, the administration would like to pour $100 billion more billion into the school system for the purpose of, of adding, uh, of, of repairing the buildings or in, improving the school infrastructure. So if they're going to spend that on, on the buildings and whatnot, it's not clear what is going to be spent what money the money is going to be spent on for with, with the initial 190 or so billion dollars that have already been allocated from the federal government which is a ton of money that's over the amount that the US dedicated to rebuild Europe after World War II through the, the Marshall Plan in real terms it's much more than the amount that we uh, dedicated to rebuild Europe after World War II and What's interesting to me as well is that the Congressional Budget Office recently estimated that only 5% of those dollars would be spent in the 2021 school year and up to 95% of that funding would be spent through 2028. But if the money is, is supposed to be used to actually reopen the schools now, then why allocate up to 95% of the resources uh, in future years, even perhaps through 2028? Well, I'm a little encouraged by that, actually, Corey, because it seems to me that if they spread this money out over a, a 10 years, uh, it's, not, it's not like dumping the money on the school so fast that they can't possibly spend it in a reasonable way. Isn't that actually a prudent way to do it? I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, maybe they just want to make it sound as if they're doing a lot. But really, if you look at it over a 10-year period of time, maybe this isn't such a big uh, uh, transformation of the spending levels in the, uh, in the public schools after all. Well, if they, if it's more money than they know what to do with, um, well, that's, that's just a, it sheds, it, it suggests that the money isn't actually for opening the schools now. And it suggests that they don't need that, the amount of money that they're throwing at the system. And maybe they shouldn't have allocated almost $200 billion to the school system through the federal government. Uh, maybe they should have allocated a lot less if they don't even know what to do with it in current years. And that's kind of what I'm trying to argue is that maybe this is about hiring more people and getting uh, uh, more staffing into the system instead of simply just reopening the schools. So it could be partially for the school reopenings, yeah. but it, it, it seems like it's a lot about other things as well. So you're sort of saying that money is not the real problem here, that we don't have the schools closed today because we don't have enough money to open them. Anybody could open their schools promptly if they had a commitment to do so. Yeah, especially with the new evidence coming out from the CDC uh, suggesting that three feet is uh, about just as safe as a six feet of spacing in the school. So it seems like it's a lot easier to open the schools. If you look at the private sector, they've been able to do it, even low cost private schools through the Catholic school sector. One study have, has even found that, and this is a Brown University working paper 
by Michael Hartney and Leslie Finger published in 2020, they did find that school reopenings were linked to union influence and a couple of measures of union influence, but they also found that public school districts that had more low cost private schools in the form of Catholic schools nearby, all else equal, were more likely to open as well, which gives some evidence to suggest that this could have something to do with incentives, that competitive pressures from the private sector might lead to a higher likelihood of public schools opening as well. So I think it has a lot more to do with uh, politics, power dynamics, and incentives than it has to do with safety and the actual needs of millions of families across the United yeah, States. Yeah, well, I was intrigued because just yesterday, a high-level administrator at Harvard University announced that we probably only need to be three feet apart, uh, that we don't need to be six feet apart, which is what we've been told now is the reason we had to shut down for a year. Now it turns out we only need to be three feet apart. In fact, I was told by this person who, who knew a lot about public health issues that they never had any data that suggested that you needed to be six feet apart in the <laughs> first place. So, uh, but now it's, it's now three feet. So, uh, you know, this number of feet has been just sort of pretty much uh, a number picked out of the air as far as I can tell. Yeah, and, and the example I like to point out is, is Florida versus California. Um, Florida spends a lot less than California. California spends about 38% more per student than Florida, and they also have stronger teachers unions, but Florida schools are essentially all open, or at least families have that option, whereas in California, they've taken the opposite approach, and their schools have mostly been closed. And similar to our study, George... Georgetown University researchers, uh, a team led by Marguerite Lo Rosa at the Edgenomics Lab out there, they put together some data similarly finding that, if anything, the remote districts, it seemed they seem to have more uh, surplus funding estimated for the current school year than their in-person counterparts, which is similar to what Christos Macridis and I found in our study that in some models, most of them were insignificant, but if anything, in some models, there was a statistically significant relationship suggesting that, if anything, the districts that went remote were actually financially better off than their in-person counterparts. And the Georgetown uh, analysis found that, for example, in, in Los Angeles uh, public schools, they were estimated to have a, a funding surplus of about a half a billion dollars in the current school year. What's the impact on children of, of all mm. of this? Do we, do we know... Um, maybe digital learning's worked well enough so that we haven't lost as much as some people say. What's your assessment of all these school closures on the next generation? Well, there's been an in a huge increase in inequities when it comes to uh, learning uh, outcomes. If you look at Darver, uh, data from the Harvard Opportunity Project, I want to say the name of the, the project is called, They've looked at math outcomes over time, and they've seen that since the schools have closed, that the more advantaged students based on family income levels have regained a lot of the ground that they initially lost, but the lower income students have lost substantially more ground when it comes to math outcomes. Uh, and that, da that data, I believe, is the Harvard University Opportunity Project. And then similarly, McKinsey and Company have looked at nationwide data from millions of students and found and estimated that students have lost months and months of learning, particularly for uh, larger losses for students of color and students from lower income families. 
There's been tons of data from individual school districts also suggesting similar patterns. For example, in my area, Fairfax County Public Schools reported that the number of students failing two or more classes has increased by 83% since the previous school year, and that that, that number has increased by 111% for students with special needs, and several other school districts have so shown massive learning losses in math and reading over the past year associated with remote learning. And EdChoice, they've done a poll with Morning Consult that just came out, nationwide poll of teens, I believe through the ages of 13 through 17. Uh, the survey was in the field in the middle of February, and they found that students who did remote learning in the most recent school year, they've lost more ground mentally as far as their mental health is concerned and academically relative to their in-person peers. That's a new survey from EdChoice and Morning Consult. And then we've seen a, a growing amount of data suggesting mental health issues on the rise this year as well, with one extreme example coming from the fifth largest school district in the United States, Clark County Public Schools in Nevada, the number of students that have committed suicide this year has doubled relative to the previous school year, which is a huge issue associated with uh, the, the pandemic and, and keeping the schools closed over the past year. Pew Research, Pew Research has also done a survey suggesting that mental health issues have been on the rise for students as well. And then so there's a- These are big issues out there that uh, are just being ignored. Uh, every single day, the schools are closed. There's a, a very serious losses of, of many kinds for, for, for many children. And that's, and, and it's not just math and reading and, and mental health issues. We've seen, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, increases in childhood obesity. They quoted some pediatricians in Brooklyn, for example, saying that they've seen elementary school students gaining 20 to 30 pounds over the last year. And we've seen data reported by The Economist recently, new studies suggesting that there have been inequities arising in the labor market, that females have been less likely to return to the labor market because schools have been closed and they've been returning to the household to provide those in-person childcare activities that were previously being provided by the school system. And so this is leading to labor market inequities as well. A lot of things that weren't intended to begin with, with a year ago when all these closures happened, but these are unintended consequences of keeping the schools closed. And for what? Uh, the, the, the vast majority of the evidence that we have in front of us today suggests that keeping the schools closed has led to little benefit in as associated with reduction of community spread of the virus. So how about the effect on uh, parents' decisions as to where to send their kids to school? Uh, there's been some talk out there that uh, people are leaving the public schools and headed elsewhere. Uh, do you see any evidence yeah. of that? Yeah, Chalkbeat has uh, recently put out data from individual state departments of education for at least 33 states, I want to say, and they've estimated that on average, States have lost about three to 5% of their school-aged population in the public schools. And one study by Will Flanders at the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty found that all else equal, public school districts that went remote as opposed to in-person lost more a higher proportion of their students um, uh, this, this past year, which suggests that families are voting with their feet away from the school districts that kept their doors closed for in-person instruction. And another similar interesting study that came out by uh, economist Ben Scafidi at Kennesaw University, State University and his colleagues 
just found a week or two ago that based on their survey of about 150 different private schools that the private schools in areas with a higher proportion of fully remote public schools saw greater enrollment increases this year. Again, suggesting that the parents are voting with their feet away from the remote uh, public schools and they're voting with their feet towards in-person private schools or to, to homeschool options as well. The US Census Bureau just put out data with their um, American Pulse survey, I believe it's called. And they they are estimating that even after clarifying uh, that that they're not talk they weren't talking about home uh, pandemic schooling at home or public schooling at home formal homeschooling they estimate to be about over 11 percent of households now which is essentially over a tripling of the homeschool population relative to be before well, that that is quite an astounding number it'll be interesting to see if that number holds once uh, once the pandemic is behind us uh, so listen, this is all really interesting material, uh, Corey. Uh, it's a really important study that you're showing here that uh, money is not the issue with school closures. We don't need more money to open these schools. We just need to have the will to do so. And so thank you very much for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to have had with me today on the Education Exchange, Corey DeAngelis, Director of School Choice, or who was the Director of School Choice at the Reason Foundation, and now he's the National Director of Research for the American Federation of, of Children, and he's the co-author of a new study entitled, Are School Reopening Decisions Related to Funding? So thanks for joining me, Corey. Thank you. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time. Thank you for joining me.